Hi everyone, this is Jean-Marc. I am the creator of DataMesh, uh, the founder of Next Data. We are reimagining what data sharing could look like. We are growing our team rapidly and we need you. If you are a distributed systems engineer, if you're a product manager or designer of a large-scale PaaS SaaS infrastructure, please check out our page at nextdata.com and look at our open roles. We'd love to hear from you. A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Hurlman, sponsored by Starburst. This is Adrian Estala, VP and Field CDO at Starburst and host of Data Mesh TV. Starburst is the leading contributor to Trino, the open source project, and the Data Mesh for Dummies book that I co-wrote with Colleen Tarto and Andy Mont. To claim your free book, head over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left DataStacks. You know, thanks for all their help in ha- founding things. But I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introductions and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Making data accessible makes your data work successful. More on PayPal's data mesh journey. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Kim Tees, at the time of recording, a leader on the enterprise data team at PayPal and now SVP of client innovation and data solutions at Profit Optics. To be clear, though, she was only representing her own views on the episode. So here are some key takeaways or thoughts specifically from Kim's point of view. Number one, when talking about data mesh to execs, it's helpful to go back to the basics. She said, quote, there are the four main principles and this is what we've built and why. Personal note here, I do recommend you slightly alter the phrasing around, you know, federated computational governance, (laughs) uh, you know, when talking to a lot of people out there. Number two, Look to what Simon Sinek said and kind of start with the why. Always investigate the why for the other party. What would be enticing to your business execs to lean in on for data mesh? What what is going to kind of bait that hook? What are they going to be excited about? Data mesh for the sake of data mesh is not going to win over the business partners. Number three, the communication and relationship building aspects of data work 
are often overlooked and will serve you better than just about any architectural or technology decision. Build the relationships so your great data work will address actual business challenges and be leveraged by those business leaders, by those business partners. Number four, potentially controversial. Similarly, learn the art of the conversation so you can extract from people their needs and wants and then see how you can help them meet those needs and wants. What isn't going well where you can help is a great question to find new use cases where the stakeholder will also be engaged. You know, you're literally directly addressing a business challenge for them. Number five, it's probably better to start from needing a solution and data mesh is a good fit, right? You have a a challenge and data mesh is a good fit rather than using data mesh as a hammer and going out there and looking for nails from a use case standpoint. You shouldn't want to do, or at least shouldn't propose doing, data mesh for the sake of doing data mesh. Number six, if you have a clear business use case, it's much easier to get people engaged and keep them engaged and involved you know, around data mesh or data work in general, right? Again, clear business use case. Look to a tangible benefit. That can be like cost savings, which is a pretty easy first use case to go after. Number seven, another potentially controversial one. Data teams, especially data engineers, need to spend more time experiencing, was the word Kim kept using, experiencing how customers and users actually use data to deliver on their business objectives. It will lead to better outcomes and better relationships with the business leaders and teams. Number eight, leverage the Gemba Walk philosophy. That What that means is kind of walking the factory floor. It's a, a Japanese concept. And walking that factory floor and talking to people far more often. Ask them how they get their work done, right? doesn't need to be overly formal. If you've got a physical location, you can stop by or you know, just have an informal Zoom chat or whatever you use for your video conferencing. But just collect information to help others do their job better with data. Number nine, you don't get to rest once you've gotten your initial approval, right? It's like, oh, we've gotten over that hump. It's all good. No, execs' attention will not last. They won't be focused on that. They're going to start to focus on other challenges. Keep circling back with them and pointing to the business challenges you are addressing and not the data work itself. What are you addressing? What are the things that that are a pain in their side or whatever? That's how you stay relevant and near top of mind. Number 10, it's not as if every aspect of your business starts doing a data mesh approach when you start your journey. There will be compromises in other parts of your business will likely choose other approaches for similar challenges. You can't just all of a sudden flip that switch. That's okay and normal for those challenges to happen. Build your momentum and successes around data mesh, but accept it won't be right for everyone, especially at first. Number 11, data mesh will be received differently by every person or at least every persona. Each of the pillars might resonate differently with those people, right? So be ready when speaking to people to focus on the aspect that is getting them to kind of lean forward, to lean in, to be excited about what you're talking about. You need to balance the four pillars in your journey, but you don't have to in every conversation, right? (laughs) Number 12, there's probably far more transformation needed in your data practices than you expect. Even after hearing somebody say that, there's still probably far more than you expect. 
processes and hearts and minds are especially the place where you're going to have to transform the most and where you probably don't expect it. Number 13, in the current business environment, you know, likely headed for a recession or at least a soft economy, you might be able to get people bought in on data mesh simply from time savings for the data team, right? In downturns, cost cutting becomes far more attractive. Number 14, once you get your data mesh journey going and you have some interesting capabilities to offer folks, it's important to go out and find additional use cases. Even if you're proving a lot of value, people still probably need a little convincing, a little prodding, a little pulling, or at least some additional understanding of what you're doing. They won't all just come to you. Number 15, to speak the same language as your business partners, Kim said you have to listen first, right? It's pretty easy to assume you mean the same thing, but even foundational phrases like data product and data contract often have completely different meanings for people within the same organization, maybe even the same domain, maybe even the same team. So really like start and try and understand what that other person's understanding is. Number 16, it's incredibly easy to overlook user experience and data. Don't fall into that trap. You know, personal note here, we did a data user experience panel because I think this is really important. It was actually our second panel. So if you want to dig deeper into that, that's episode 190. And then finally, number 17, another potentially controversial one, domain ownership is probably the most important aspect of data mesh because it puts the data back in the hands of the people who really know it best. Context loss is such a prevalent problem in data and data mesh solves for that quite well. Personally, I think, uh, you know, data as a product is the most important pillar. Uh, I've never actually had anybody, I don't think, say that the platform is the most important of the four pillars, but it's kind of balanced between uh, governance and ownership and data as a product. But I think that's an interesting concept to kind of poke at. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Kim Tease here, who's on the enterprise data team at PayPal. But just to be clear, she's only representing her own views. And we're going to be talking about a lot of different things. You know, we had uh, JGP on as well, who's uh, from PayPal. And he was talking about kind of at the actual like super data product, the kind of more technical level of stuff. And we're going to be talking about something that keeps coming up that I haven't seen a ton of really great content around of like, the actual story of how are you partnering with business partners? Like how did how did that work at PayPal, but also some generalized like advice as to how to do that. So we're going to talk about driving to funding, like how to actually do it, how to get approval for this chunk of your data mesh journey at, you know, how do you talk about or not talk about kind of the longer run and, you know, oh, okay, we're going to go in and try and pitch a five-year journey to somebody instead of let's get to value now. Or, And how do you modify and customize that pitch to the person and persona you're dealing with? Because 
you know, a lot of people want to have a slide deck and it's like, well, do you want to drive buy-in or do you only want to create one slide deck? And so like, how do you modify that? And, and kind of the, in general, we're, we're also going to talk about kind of this massive communication gap around data of like the people that are actually trying to leverage the data, you know, because the business partners are often trying to just say like, what should I do? And the data people are trying to deliver data. And so there's not the the kind of the insight and the so what and who owns that and how do we get tighter around that? And then as well, we're going to wrap in some stories about maybe some anti-patterns that that Kim has seen in, in their journey and, you know, some some stories that uh, didn't start out as perfect wins and that evolved towards towards bigger wins, but to help people to understand kind of how that how to avoid those same things and how to go forward with that. So a lot of things, very excited about it. But before we jump into that, Kim, if you don't mind giving people a bit of a background on yourself, then we can jump into the conversation at hand. Sounds good. Well, thank you very much for having me once again here, Scott. I'm excited to be a part of this. Um, A little bit about myself. So I've been at PayPal for just about two and a half years now. At the time of the recording, um, I have had quite an interesting career in consulting and also working in regulated spaces, both banking and um, in uh, some healthcare areas before coming to PayPal. So uh, really excited to get into the conversation and learn a little bit more. In terms of my role today, um, I lead a team of data engineers that have implemented PayPal's first production data mesh. And so we've done a lot of talk and publication on it. Uh, we just released an open source uh, data contract that's getting a lot of buzz out there. Uh, so we're excited about everything that we're doing within the PayPal area. Yeah, very exciting. And well, and and that uh, data contracts thing, I was I've been pressing on people to release their data contract stuff for a long time. So I was very happy to see one that actually came out that was like, we have done this instead of here's some theoretical stuff. So. Um, I'm I'm excited to kind of uh, help you guys partner on that to find some folks. So we're excited. We're about a weekend, and I think it's something like 170 stars and uh, 17 to 20 forks so far. So it's picking up speed. <laughs> that's that's. I don't know that anybody else uh, has. Uh, you know, I think that would be uh, something a lot of people would be very jealous of, especially at the start of a project. So, um, so let's go ahead and and jump into the the thing that we were first planning on talking about, which was that kind of driving to funding, right? Like this is something that a lot of people are trying to that want to do data mesh uh, from the data side and are like, but I, I just want to do this because this is the right thing for the long term company, instead of like how do I find a a source of funds, an actual thing that will fund this? Because, you know, it's that whole thing of, okay, that's going to be great, but when does it pay off? How does it pay off? What's our what's our surety of this? You know, okay, are you locking us into something that's a three-year um, life cycle and that's when it's going to pay off is in year three. And so we're going to invest all this money. So like, why don't we start with that, that you where you started to see the problem and how you started to go out there and see funding. Was it that you found the problem first and then went the other way? Or was it that you were kind of, you know, you were looking for additional projects and we can kind of talk through that that journey from there? Yeah. So in our particular case, we weren't looking for a data mesh solution, right? Uh, we had a very specific business problem that we needed to solve. We had disparate data sets and disparate domains 
that needed to come to common definitions, have a single source of truth. We needed to ensure some governance and observability. And so it naturally led us to um, discover Jamak's work in Data Mesh. And that's really where we began. So our business case actually started with a conversation around a specific solution. We were looking for something that was going to save X amount in losses, it would have X amount of revenue in return um, by do- solving a data solution. Um, and so we had a little bit less uh, scrutiny as to the approach we took with that data solution. So that was one of our advantages coming in. On the opposite end, um, have also seen and very closely familiar with a, an opposite case in the organization where it really started with an engineering conversation hey, data mesh is out there. We want to give it a shot. Let's go and try and find a business case that that we can apply it to and see if it makes sense for us. So have seen both different approaches. Um, the approach of taking the business case ended up being the one that went to production. So I don't know if that's you know worth mentioning or not, but I do think having something tangible in terms of losses, in terms of savings, in terms of revenues, whatever it may be that's important to the business, better customer view is really the crux of that conversation. Um, because when you really start looking at the investment in technology and the amount of time until ROI, it's hard to articulate that if you don't have a specific case you're looking at. And did you have, so when you were looking at that specific use case, was it something that was like a long known problem and it was hard to solve based on what was going on or like, cause I, I'm trying to where we're seeing a lot is that second case that you talked about of um, engineering wanting to do this. And is that then if if somebody's in that space, are you recommending that they kind of not necessarily go fishing, but in a sense, go fishing of go out there and just talk to the uh, organizations and be like, well, not hey, wouldn't it be better if if you did it with this other way? And it's like, well, but we can achieve it with what we're doing right now versus, hey, this is something that we cannot do right now. Like what, I guess I'm, I'm asking you to, to solve for something that, that you maybe weren't even seeing, but like how, when somebody's in that space, would you tell them to wait until they do have that business use case before that that use case emerges or to go and look for that use case? Or like, how would you think about kind of going after that? I may say something kind of controversial here, but I feel like every data engineer should have a good understanding of their customers, right? Whether it's their data consumers or it's the end customer. Um, So when you think about that and you think about, you know, we're really producing, we're manufacturing something for those consumers, then it also makes sense when we're building something to apply principles like Six Sigma um, and go to Gemba, right? Go and experience how people are using that data to deliver it. Go and experience what the end data needs to look like for the customer. And then you're naturally going to have those relationships within the business if you're just naturally curious and you're having those conversations. And I know sometimes that's easier said than done. I work in an enterprise. I get it. We're a big, massive company. Where do you start? Who do you even define? I think with Data Mesh, you can um, just start as simply with, uh, we called them our Juliets, the the data scientists who are using the data day in and day out. We went and sat with them to understand what problems they were trying to solve, to get a feeling for how they were using, how they were finding, discovering the data. You know, that self-service concept, that's what helped to feed our business case as well for Data Mesh. 
since we were providing self-service for them. So we really started at the persona level, but getting to know those people also will help you to understand the problems that have value that you can solve and show that immediate ROI. Yeah, it's it's so weird to me how little in data historically we've talked about that kind of UX research, right? That user experience research and that deeply sitting in, you're like, I expect you to tell me exactly what your challenges are versus, hey, we're sitting together. I, I don't, you know, I've seen this in the past when people are using products and they don't know to tell you that they have this problem because they don't know it's a problem or they don't know it's a, a solvable problem. And so they go, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm not even going to tell you that I'm doing this, this thing because it doesn't feel like it's a problem because I can still get where I need to go. But it's like, that was a massive point of friction or, oh, that really reduces the reliability of X or Y or Z. And so I think that sitting with those folks, I mean, was it that like actually, was it just kind of a couple of conversations or was it kind of really embedding with those teams and, and being like, we're going to actually sit next to them literally or in the virtual space, you know, of that? Because a lot of people are are trying to figure that out. Yeah. So in our case, we actually, you know, did the Gimba walk. And what a Gimba walk is, it's a, a Japanese philosophy of walk the manufacturing floor, talk to the people, the people who are doing the work, understand the problems, no matter, you know, better than anybody else. And so we actually went in and we said, okay, hey, um, friend who's a data engineer, how are you bringing this data on board? What sort of contracts are, are you using anything to really capture the meta metadata? How are you doing this? And then we went and sat with our data scientist and said, okay, how are you bringing this data together? What are you doing? Can you show us one of the problems you solve? And yes, our team sat and we watched. And you know, it, I think when you watch, it's much better than a conversation. You can interview someone and you'll get biased answers because that's the experience that they've had. So they're not looking for the new thing, kind of like Henry Ford. And if you ask people, you know, what they want, they're going to say a faster horse. Um, to go in and sit with an engineer's mindset and to see the use of the data scientist's work, you really get a better understanding and level of empathy for what they're trying to solve. But at the same time, coming full circle back to that business case, at the same time, you're going to see discrete business issues that you can attach dollars to in terms of savings to really make that case stand out and get approved. And and I think that that dovetails really well into how do you actually get the execs to buy in and then something that's come up that I don't think a lot of people are prepared for because they're prepared for the switch has been flipped. So how do you get people to buy in and then keep that buy in, stay bought in of, okay, oh, you you did this thing. Okay. The, the value has been delivered versus no, the value is ongoing and that you, you do that. So like when you first started to get the buy-in, maybe that, that would be a good story of like going and, and how did you get the, the budget for this? How much, not, you know, dollars amount, but for like how much runway was that? Or was that, you know, a data product? Was that, you know, a couple of data products? And then we can talk about like driving that buy-in, like what, what would you kind of recommend people to do? But then especially that keeping, because it just keeps coming up where people are like, this buy-in is so hard. And it's like, it's whack-a-mole. It's not, you press the button and the button stays pressed. It's you press the button and then, you know, a 
you know, 10 seconds later, it pops back up and you have to get them rebought in or you have to keep the pressure on to, to keep them bought in. Yeah, I would say in our own experience, we had multiple times that we had to get different groups of buy-in. And some of that was, you know, the initial funding of the case, right? That's one set of buy-in. It's usually pretty clear in most enterprises that you're going for a dollar amount. You write down your outcomes, right? You do a formal business case. But once you get the approval, right, and you've got the wheels turning and everything else, your executives are going to be focused perhaps on more pressing issues from time to time, and yours may lose priority. So I think staying relevant and on top of the latest, and, and I keep coming back to the business problem you're trying to solve, being relevant in the dollar savings that you can get um, or the uh, additional revenues that you can get from the organization is really important at every single stage. And we were able to accomplish that by by taking kind of a proof of concept, really rapid approach of of having something that was tangible that we could put in executive hands and say, okay, you know, three months in, here you go. Here's some data sets you've never seen together in a compelling way you've never been able to um, do analysis on. Here's what your team came up with. Um, here's new insights. And so that kept the buy-in going from the business standpoint. I think then, you know, there were still challenges as as technology changes within an enterprise. You know, uh, we had a lot of autonomy at one point because we were completely encapsulated in the business unit. And then we moved to more of an enterprise team and we began collaboration there. And we found there were numerous tools, there were numerous teams across our organization that were looking at either the same or similar technologies and taking different approaches. So then it became all about relationships, right? understanding who was working on it, creating solid relationships as much as possible. And I really credit, um, you know, like Jean-Georges and um, some members of our enterprise data platforms team at PayPal. They really worked closely together to gain a common understanding of what the goal was. And again, coming back to the business outcome and saying the goal from a technology standpoint is X, Y, Z. The goal from the data standpoint is this sort of governance. And to get there, you know, all of this is going to give our business partners ABC in terms of revenues. So we had to kind of play a little bit of a juggling act in that area. We had to give and take um, and we learned along the way. But those relationships, you know, I can't underestimate the value of a relationship as you're going through it. And I think it's got to be not only in your line of of command, right? It needs to be in partnership with with different areas of the business, such as product, or if you're working in, um, you know, finance, marketing, whatever it may be, whatever data sets you are working with, understanding those lines of business and having those relationships throughout because priorities will, sh- will shift in each one of those organizations over time. And you'll need different levels of support from each of them at different points throughout the project. And I've got two different things that I think we could dig into there, because um, I think especially that that keeping relevant, like anything that, that you could talk about of like, how do you actually do that? Because it's easy to say, stay relevant, but that. But then there's also the question around what is so there's what is valued and what is valuable. And I think when you're looking at your first use case, you want to find something that is both. And so, but like, what are you finding that you think is valued? And do you think that that's just kind of very specific to your use case and it's not that, but like what I've kind of been hearing is people are, it's it's kind of like this weird analogy that I'm going to throw out there, but um, some startups when they do 
uh, stock options. They say we have um, after you leave, like there's a, a rule that if you have a certain uh, treatment for your stock options, you have to exercise while you're there or within 90 days. But you can then change them with no consequence to say, okay, they were this qualified stock options. They're now non-qualified stock options. And you can give them like another 10 years to exercise so that it doesn't create all these weird tax consequences where if somebody's leaving, you know, it creates like golden handcuffs and all sorts of stuff. Um, But I was talking to a couple of different companies about this and they were saying when we did this, nobody really valued that optionality. And I, I'm wondering within Data Mesh if people are valuing only the use case or if the business execs are only valuing the use case instead of the capabilities to quickly iterate and to quickly spin up new use cases. Because it's like we have this, we're, we're building out this thing and it's not just for this one use case. Yay, we, we accomplished this one use case, but we've also made it so that in the future, we have the ability to do these things for much cheaper. So we're constantly lowering the cost and upping the speed and the quality of doing this. Are you finding that that that's valued or are you finding that people are are digging into that? Or are you just finding that people kind of give you the smile and nod of, yeah, OK, great. Like you, you've I've been told this 90 million times around data projects, so I'll believe it when I see it. But I'm not looking to just dig into seeing it, if that made sense. No, it, it totally made sense. And, you know, as you were you were talking through it, I, I really feel it comes down to different personas and you can almost take the the four principles and apply them to different personas. And this was, you know, at the beginning of the show, you said, Kim, what are some failures too? Are you going to share some of those with it? And I would say that's one of the failures that we've had, right? We were so focused on the initial business case, on getting it off the ground, on proving it on getting those self-service capabilities for our data scientists and engineers that were suffering from a big loss of time due to manual processes. We were so focused on that, we kind of lost the bigger story. And so as we came out of a line of business and moved into the enterprise, what I found was it was different conversations with different people. So when you're talking about domain ownership, for example, you know, Lines of business, especially like product, marketing, things like that, they really get it. They're like, yeah, no one understands the data like we do. I've got amazing data scientists or even in finance, I've got amazing data scientists who really know this or I've got the data engineers who really know this. But then I have to go back through a bottleneck of people in a central place to get data back out and it doesn't work for me. So I found that that concept has really kind of resonated in in more of the business related discussions. When you think about... um self-service, right? That's really resonated in um, the lines of business that have large pockets of data scientists. We've been able to articulate the cost savings that we can bring to them. you know. And when people see the tools that are created and it's like, wait, there's a tool for me? I don't have to go through and copy code and redo it 30 times. Like You made a tool for me to make my life better. And I feel like often data scientists, while they may have beautiful BI tools, you know, like the back end of getting to the data and bringing it all together is so difficult. And um, we often don't see that struggle or, or many people don't see and recognize that struggle. So they're super thrilled when we bring that to them. And then when you think of more of those governance conversations, you know, I, I think we should have spent a little more time earlier on talking about governance and how it can be federated and the concept of microservices and data. I vastly underestimated 
the amount of transformation that needs to take place in a data organization, especially if you're moving from, you know, large data lakes and data warehouses and more of that classical design, the amount of change that has to take place to embrace um, domain-driven design concepts. It's just not something that's that's prevalent in every data organization. So um, I think those are some things we learned along the way. But yeah, breaking down the personas of the different stakeholders you need, I think, is an important part. And then thinking about the capabilities that are going to help them win and and working towards that. And, you know, I think the one other thing that you you pointed out was on on scalability. You know, that was a big part of our conversation early on. Like, hey, yeah, we'll bring in these data sets It's very, for this discrete problem. But, you know, it's so much easier now to bring in other domains and to bring them together. Let, let's show you first. And so I think we're still early in that journey. But um, I know others have had a lot of success by um, spending a lot of time talking about that scalability because it really is incremental uh, once you get that initial prototype out there working. Yeah, that's and that's where it's like finding a use case. I mean, if if you have to do it by use case, finding a use case that is rich enough that is going to that has enough challenges where you go, this is rich enough and this is something that where we probably can't do it, but that is also not so overly complex that you're biting off more than you can chew. And that gives you enough value overhead to do that, plus build out the additional capabilities instead of only build to this sing- single use case. It's difficult. And people, you know, it, you're people out there, you're going to struggle trying to figure out exactly how to thread that needle because it's not even just a needle. It's kind of threading five needles. But a lot of times something will be so far off the charts of the only way we could do this is X. Okay. And that's of significant value. So boom, we don't care about the other aspects or um, this one use case is of so much value, you know, especially, you know, being in financial services, uh, like uh, risk management and mitigation and things like that can be so incredibly valuable that that people are just like, okay, I I don't have to do this extra bit of, of work every single month to deal with the regulators. It's just already there. And I can actually show my providence for it. And I, I don't have to go and pull all this stuff manually together to put it together. It's just, it's there. I don't believe that that will happen. But if you do do that for me, you will be my best friend. Yeah. And, you know, just to double click on the, the data engineer and the data scientist experience. Again, I think that was something we missed in the initial business case. We probably could have asked for more. But thinking if you're starting from an engineering up perspective um, where you don't have a business case, your business case alone might be the cost savings for your data engineers and analysts who are consuming and using uh, your data mesh. There's tremendous opportunity in, in this environment. And then the, the I know we aren't allowed to say we're in a recession, but the potentially oncoming recession uh, everyone's looking to decrease operational expense. And so I think that really um, would have helped us to even further our case in hindsight. So sharing that one, because I think it, it would really help if you're starting from an engineering perspective. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think, you know, if we can make people more productive or if we can say we can take on X number of more use cases by doing this, it's like, we're, we're opening up ourselves for these additional revenue opportunities. And, but also, especially in this environment, it was really funny. 
Um, I saw this case study by one of the big consulting firms. I think maybe it was PwC or something around data mesh. And they're like, you know, data mesh allowed us to save $4.7 million at this client. And then if you click into it and it's like, and allowed us to drive uh, up to $3.3 billion of new revenue. And it was like, okay, you just million and billion. And you're saying that like the, the 4.7 of savings, I get that it then self funds or whatever, but you're saying that this additional revenue is not that, and, and, you know, you don't automatically capture it immediately and all that stuff, but it's still just like, we are in that environment of, and, and we haven't seen good ways to concretely measure those costs and those cost savings and things like that. And I think breaking it down into much more discrete chunks means that you end up with with that um, a, a little bit better of your arms around that that kind of how much did we actually save how much did that that actually go through yeah and you know understanding the the business context as well from a customer journey experience so we talked a little bit about you know we started from a business case and it was one particular part it's it was kind of a slice of the journey or a view you know it could either be a horizontal or a vertical of one piece of that journey. But if you know what that journey is, that gives you your natural scalability too to look for your next cases. So where's the next big critical point? Um, so just want to share that as well. Did you look for um, when you were thinking about additional things? Were you looking for something that's relatively closely adjacent? You know, because you can think about okay, I've got say I've got twenty domains in there. You know, you think about your map and that like the domains naturally live closer to each other, and so there's that kind of spread vector of Am I just trying to encapsulate more and more around this one thing? Or am I trying to go like completely across the organization to show proof points of we can do these things that are pretty far apart, but still can drive value or what? I mean, it's easier to find probably use cases that are closer to each other. Is that what you started to kind of look for? Yeah, I wouldn't say adjacencies is the right term. Like adjacencies is definitely where we were looking because we were like, okay, what's something that's different enough? that the organization hasn't looked at this piece of data with these other pieces of data that we've already brought in, these domains that we already have. So how can we bring these pieces together to give a new and meaningful insight that we haven't had before? Um, whether it's a different product, whether it's a different customer view, whether, whether it's a different you know decision point in time, whatever it may be, um, that could give us that, that multiplex view, right? Start to get build a three-dimensional model of of the customer experience, and and I think this this dovetails nicely into um, a little bit about what we were talking about of of different personas, different buy in, different things like that. Like what I'm having people come to me and ask is, how do I sell to this person or this persona? Is when you were going out there and talking to it. Was it that you were kind of saying, I'm going to prepare ahead of time, or were you going and talking to them and extracting from them and then reacting? Because that's what I've been finding is is a little bit more useful. I know data people don't like that because they like to come with the data, but like going to them and going, okay, I need to know, or, or staying on top of them. You know, you talked about that of staying relevant. And so it's constantly having those conversations and assessing when they're pulling back or they're that you're relevancy is dropping like i'm going to just ask the big big broad question we could dig into different aspects of it but like how do right how do you do this how do you think about this of how do i start to customize for these people were you just going okay i can kind of treat the personas 
relatively the same or was it okay for key individuals I have to go in because otherwise it's not scalable if you have to go into every single person in an org and go I have to buy every single one in one by one it's just not scalable but at the same point if you just try and treat everybody as the same then nobody really cares yeah I mean I think you're right on that you can't treat everyone the same and and I'm going to share a little anecdote that ties into the story. So um, for a while, I was working for a, a custom API development company. And I was responsible not only for an engineering team, but also for doing some business development. And I'd never really been in the sales side before, you know. Um, and so I, I'd go in and say, hey, we build these APIs. Here's examples. Here's use cases. Here's all the stuff we do. And people would be like, cool, great. Like, yeah, I'll let you know if something comes up, Right. And I really quickly found out it was really about the art of the conversation, which is, you know, I wouldn't even start the conversation with, hey, we build this or whatever, other than to give context of who we were. It was, so what's going on with you? Like, what is the thing keeping you up right now? What do you need to solve? And, you know, I think if we bring that sort of mindset over into engineering, I'm not saying we all need to be salespeople. We don't. But in having um, the conversations with our stakeholders or the people that are potentially our stakeholders that we're trying to sell a concept to, stopping to understand what the biggest thing is that they're trying to solve for right now, whether it's, you know, they're a partner and they're solving a similar problem, but they're using a different approach. Maybe they're not using data mesh. Maybe they're not bought in. Instead of pushing the, hey, we did data mesh. Look at us. This, 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 this. Come and try it. Maybe it's more of a conversation around where are you now? What's working? What's not? Great. Um, and then going back and creating that relationship and taking the time to then go and explain how what you've built or what you're asking for from them is relevant to their needs. Um, and so they get bought in. So I know that was a little bit of a tangent and a little bit more of a sales tactics probably, but it that that experience in business development, I think, has really helped um me to be more successful in uh, getting business cases not only approved, but continuing continuing and expanding on them. And then I don't even think it was at all tangential. I think it was literally, okay, I'm going in and I, I'm for the key people, for the ones that are going to be the ones that I have to get bought in and keep bought in. I can't just treat them as a persona. I have to treat them as a person. That's kind of what I was getting from it is that I have to go and be like, you know, I'm going to sell this thing at you versus like, what are you actually seeing? What are your actual challenges? And let's figure out if this is an overlap, right? Like I, I have this, you know, I'm, I'm, by the time this comes out, hopefully I've got a bajillion paying customers and stuff like that. But, you know, <laughs> I, I'm working on on my offering right now because it's like what's actually going to be of value to folks. And then I talk to them. And a lot of times, you know, you and I were, were, were talking about this recently about, hey, what who might you want to talk to? And and it's not like, hey, I, I think you should talk to these five people simply because I think you should talk to these five people. It's like, hey, relative to XYZ challenge, this person I think has this figured out relatively well. So this is what you've got to, this is who who you should leverage for if that's actually your main point. But like understanding that of, are you ready to talk to people? Are you ready? Like that's what I'm doing on my side. And I think that's the same here of, 
if you're leading a a journey, you have to get good about understanding that and, and that people don't care that you're doing data mesh, right? They care about the capability that you're delivering to them and whether that's at the use case or the overall business capability state, right? Of like, you know, I I uh, I think uh, you and JGP were, were laughing about the unicorn farts theory, but it's like they don't care what it's called. They care about what this can do. So, um, I mean, when you're thinking about that that actual conversation and extracting, like, can you give a couple of examples of of leverage points or pain points that you could actually use to customize whether that was actually what happened or what was um, what you could recommend people to, to keep an eye out for and not, you know, the whole, you know, what sell to their nightmares and things like that. But like, you know, is it more, would you find it more effective uh, in general to be selling to their, to their pain point rather than to their aspirations or things like that of, you know, this could drive, you know, 10 million of, of incremental revenue for your business. And it's like, well, I've been told that a million times about these data projects versus like, I have concrete about this thing is a pain. I have a concrete way of, of approaching that. Like, how, how have you found that kind of working around talking to these different domains? Yeah, I think, you know, a, a few of the the key stories that I can share, one would be you know, conversations around, for example, data contracts, everyone right now in the data world is interested in how you can get more data fa onboarded faster with relevant business context in the analytical space. Everyone wants it right now. Generative AI is right around the corner. Everyone wants more data to play with, right? And so I think that data contract conversation um, has been a good door opener to multiple parts of our organization, whether it's with product, whether it's with governance teams or security. Um, it's really been helpful, but understanding what they were looking from it. So when we're in data mesh world, right, you and I say data contract and we're thinking one thing. Um, our security partners, our governance partners in the enterprise, our product folks, they're thinking something completely different, right? And so I think it's um, important to make sure that we're speaking the same language, but in order to speak the same language, we really have to listen to them first on those problems. So for example, when we had a conversation with our governance team, what they were looking to solve really had a lot more to do with some observability needs and some assurances and SLAs that weren't being reached. Whereas when we had a conversation with product, it's much more about, I need the business context. You know, I, column headers aren't helping me anymore. We've got the same column headers everywhere. Like, give me business context, right? And how do I ensure that that context, if it changes, I'm capturing it? So very different conversations around the same basic concept, right? But understanding where the user was coming from so we could apply the right conversation was really um, what helped us, at least so far, to be successful in that. What one weird little turn of phrase, uh, you know, and I don't know if it's the same in, in other languages, but, you know, going to somebody and not saying what, like, what would make you trust this data? It's what would make you rely on this data? Not because trust is like, eh, versus like rely is like, I actually believe I can build something on this that is fundamental because of that. Like, what do you actually need to get there? And it's like, and th those contracts are those assurances. And, and you know, I talk about uh, people who think that contracts are the the way to solve it. 
you know, I mean, I, you and I had that that conversation, JGP and I've had that conversation where it's like, those people are insane because it's like, you can't put everything into a contract, but the contract sets some terms, right? Like when, you, when you're buying from a vendor, it's not that the contract defines the relationship, the contract sets some bounds around the relationship and then you build a relationship around that and that it sets it so that there's some things that are are in in stone and you know are guaranteed or whatever and that's where i think exactly what you're talking about of going to these people and going like hey what are the things that you're actually afraid of when somebody when you find some information that you're like i want to use this what are the things that you're afraid of that make it so that it's harder to use this and is it that it you know is it that it's just getting access to it or is it that it's understanding what it is is it like that the the quality you just can't be sure of or you know Jamak talked about um the data can't trust itself i think that was a really good phrase that she used of like if the data is just floating out there and somebody transformed it and I don't have any ability to track if somebody has changed it, can I really track that it's gone, you know, it's come clean from source or am I just drinking water that I think has come, you know, clean down the glacier and yet it's not, right? Um, how can I really trust that to just start drinking from it versus I have to, you know, put it through a whole filtering system and all that just to make sure that I, it's potable and then I can drink it. So like- were you finding that people were were leaning into that or were you finding, because what you're talking about was you had to change a lot of things fundamentally. Was it that people were like, I want to, like, I think this could be, uh, sorry, I'm going on too long, but the, the persona question of were people more interested in what was changing in the processing or what was changing in what they were able to do from it and like the level of trust, like what was actually the thing where the the persona started to dig into so that people can kind of prepare for those conversations. Yeah. And I'm going to be vulnerable and honest on my answer here. So we really started with, we started with one business use case in mind in our particular instance. And then we went really technology focused. We got some great data engineers. We got some great software engineers. And we just like, we started hacking and building and bringing together products across our organization into the solution, right? And we got so hyper-focused on the solution and getting the data out that we actually did forget about the customer for a little while. And so what what turned the tide was, you know, we were getting ready to go live with the first data mesh. And then you ask, like, so what's the user experience going to be like? It's like, oh, crap. Like, have we really thought about, and this was our failure, right? Have we really thought about that self-service experience, that customer experience? How's it going to change for them? What are the tools they're using today? Is there going to be training required? Like, what's tomorrow going to look like for them? And so for us, you know, once we again, did that gimbal walk. And we sat beside and we said, okay, stop. We're going to figure out what this is, what this interface is, and we're going to build it. We did one first for the data scientists, one next for the data engineers. And once we showed them like, hey, look, you can see the lineage, you can see, you know, feedback data from other people that are using these data sets. Like, look at all these great things you can do with the tools you have today. Um, you know, people were blown away. So then it was an easy buy-in. But uh, the initial, we, we kind of lost track along the way because we got so focused on the infrastructure, the platform aspects, if you will, 
that we did forget about the customer for a little while. And so we had to come back and bring that home. And, you know, I think those those self-service tools in hindsight um, are really what made it successful for us. And I wish we had spent a little more time up front talking about those things because I think we'd have even better buy-in than we have today. Yeah, it's it's funny how much the user experience, like, because... We had this on the data product management uh, panel as well, where they were talking about, um, which I think actually will come out after this episode. It's it's always that fun of future time and stuff. But um, we were talking about the um, challenges of the data products themselves can't really have a user experience in a way. You know, there's the documentation user experience, but the platform should own much more of the user experience so that each data product doesn't have to develop its own user experience, yet there should be a thought of the user experience relative to how can they leverage this output port? How is the API designed? How is the documentation done? Like all of these things where it's like, there isn't a direct, like I am using it kind of feel because it's data. And so you're, you're using that in some other way, but that, that user experience is so hard to get your arms around and I mean, but you kind of talked about this earlier. Sometimes in data, people are just like, my user experience is fine because anytime somebody's come to talk to me about changing my user experience, they forced me to use something else that was broke that I didn't like. And so I think maybe that's a, a good insight that you're kind of poking around of like even just going to them and going, hey, we're going to we're going to we're going to take care of you. This you haven't been taken care of in the past, but I'm actually going to work to take care of you in this in this instance. Yeah, I think in our case, you know, as engineers, we can get fancy. We love to build new things, right? New new gadgets, new tools, new experiences, and and if we hadn't taken the time to understand what they were doing today, in our case, um, we we might have over engineered, right? Um, and we were kind of disappointed with the tools they're using today. Yeah, they weren't cool. They weren't sexy new stuff, right? But it works and it co- requires no training for them. And it was really easy for us to do an API, to do a few upgrades and boom, there we were right there, easily accessible for them um, with the tools that they had. So uh, definitely a, an important learning from that quote unquote Gimbal walk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like that. I'm going to drop a link to uh, Gemba Walk in the uh, show notes so people can kind of uh, understand. <laughs> really hammering in about the Gemba Walk today. <laughs> well, but, but you know, we had Alice Parker on and we did a, a data user experience panel. And I think this is something that is so overlooked of just like, how do you actually talk to these people to extract from them what to build for them? Because that hasn't been, you know, like, um, you know, talking with Shamak and the the stuff that that she's working on with Next Data, it's about like how do you make this so that people don't have to super super understand exactly the tooling because the usage of the leveraging of the tool has been tied to the way the tool works for far too long. Like, can we actually change that? Can we get that to a place where that's not such a a kind of nightmare experience for for folks where? to be able to use XYZ, to be able to leverage the capabilities that XYZ tool gives, I have to go and learn everything about the way XYZ tool works. And it just, it, it makes it so everything's not scalable. And that's that's frustrating for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, you know, anytime there's a barrier to 
accessibility, it's going to require training and transformation. So anything you can do to reduce those barriers, especially as you're getting started and gaining the buy-in, not only of your stakeholders, but of your users, making it easy and accessible for them um, and meaningful and valuable is really going to help you with scalability in the future. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's it's all a work in progress. And I think this is the other thing of people will want um, more of a playbook of just like, okay, but I want you to give me instructions, which is what a lot of data, you know, information sharing has done in the past. It's just like, do use this tool, do this thing, you will be fine. And it's not really the case when you're when you're doing something like data mesh. And so that frustrates some people, but I think it's also the brilliance of it is that like it is flexible and it is like, okay, this isn't one size fits all, but that means that you can still get two good outcomes by trying a bunch of different things and that it's it's not, you know, not putting all your eggs in one basket. It's not all or nothing. So um so I I, I wanted to kind of um in general transition into the idea around um, the communication gap that we had talked about. Uh, and I think this falls into, again, even that Gemba walk of like, where do you see the failures in communication around data? That can be data person to data person. That can be data person to business user. That can be business user back to data. Pre- like where, where, I mean, big, big question, but like, let's start to dig into the kind of the different ones and where are you seeing this constantly kind of happen where where it's the easiest to solve and then we can go further and further into where's the ones that are a lot more difficult. Yeah, you know, I I think about almost the easiest way of thinking about it to me is drop the jive. So, I think a lot of times there are barriers to our communication just by the nature of our various roles or the technologies we work in. And so, finding that common conversation around analytical data is, I think, really, really important. So an example I will give is, you know, perhaps, well, actually, I'll just, I'll tell a really brief story. So my consulting career, you know, I was in software and it was really more software as a service and and building some products. And then I got into some custom software development. And then I got into some data engineering. And now I'm really, like, I came to PayPal and I got a team of uh, BI developers, right? The BI developers, everything they said was like a foreign language to me, like trying to understand. Now, even though I'd worked in software, I'd worked in data, it was a whole other language still. And I think um, being able to tell stories and make these conversations more relatable is really, really important. And I know I struggle with it. Like I'll get a concept and it makes sense to me. And and I even caught myself recently with the whole data mesh conversation as we had new executives coming in and I'm walking them through what is data mesh. I was forgetting to say, okay, these are the four main principles and this is what we've built and why. Now let's talk about the solution, right? Um, I think that uh, that tends to be the biggest problem with data is there are so many different words that we use in similar ways across data without providing context. Let's slow down a little bit. Let's get that context. And I think, you know, as we continue to evolve um, on our data journeys, we're going to get better and better about it. Even the last couple of years, I, I see improvement, but we still have terms that we're using today in data mesh. Domain, for example. What exactly is a domain? How big or small is a domain? Um, 
how do you how do you have that conversation with someone who's in data engineering versus in business? We're making it overly complex. So, you know, telling stories, making it relatable and taking a minute to make sure both of you or all of you are on the same page about the concept you're talking about is step one to me. Yeah, it's it's funny that I mean, especially that domain word or what is a data product and, um, you know, uh, it, it's like it's a nebulous thing because it's different for different people like a data product owner um, is not going to care nearly as much about the technical stuff as a data product manager, a data product developer. And, you know, um, but I, I think you, you said kind of two things in there that I want to really, really hammer in on is really driving to the context, but also one thing that seems to be missing from a lot of these conversations or that people assume is missing because it's not overly explicitly stated is the why, you know? Uh, so if you could talk about when you're talking to different personas of the why, when you're talking about data mesh, why are you actually doing this? Because, you know, Jamak is like, okay, the point of data mesh is to allow us to be um, agile and scalable and nimble with our, our data to be able to move and quickly react and to be um, you know, that kind of loose coupling. So things can evolve and change and that, that you're not all having to try and do everything in lockstep, but that there's still coupling. It's loose, but it's coupling so that things aren't just kind of off in their own data silos. But that doesn't even say why that's a value. That's just kind of assumed that's a value. So like, where do you think there was that communication gap where you had to go th to the context, driving to the context and the why? You know, I, I think it's been at every single it, it's been at every single step of the way in every conversation we've had around along the way. And even now today, in the conversations that I had earlier in this day, I think it still comes down to it. And again, you have to understand who you're talking to and what what they're coming from. This is still a new concept, right? And I forget, right, that people may not have experiences, for example, in containerization or domain driven design aspects because I come from the software world. So having an initial conversation with someone to see where they are in their journey, kind of what they're looking to solve for, and then launching into the, how can we have this discussion? How do we partner on this? How do I sell this to you? Or whatever it is that you're trying to gain either buy-in or partnership on um, is is important. So yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Going back to Simon Sinek's uh, The Why, right? Um, getting back to the root of why are you having that conversation with that person? What is it they need out of it? Um, and and how can you make sure that you're speaking the same language so you, that you're delivering on on your promises? One one thing on that that I don't necessarily agree with a lot of folks on is how much does each party have to go when you're talking about do I have to go? Um, 100% of the way and communicate only in the language of the business? Or am I going 70% of the way? They're going 30% of the way. Are we going 50-50? Like, where have you found, you know, because if they're, if the other side isn't learning anything about data, are they capable? Are they at a level where we're, um, uh, where we need to upskill them, are they actually capable of leveraging this? You know, like, like that question kind of resonate or kind of uh, reverberates through a lot of the conversations of 
you know, uh, Arena Arsner was on and she was the, you know, line of business head at a bank. And she said, the days of, um, you know, business people not understanding data are over. If you're, you don't have to be a data scientist, but if you don't understand data and how to leverage it, your, your days are numbered. But I don't know if that's the case in that, you know, I talk to people that are being successful in data and they're going 100% of the way. They're going and speaking only in the language of the business because that's the easiest way to get to to actually accomplishing things. But then you're kind of in both worlds and you're spending a lot of time on the effort. So, you know, where are you finding those success? Are you finding success and kind of and are you dragging people kicking and screaming into learning about data? Or are you kind of slowly upping their capabilities or like how, how do you think that works for for others that they could take from what you've learned thus far? Yeah, I think um, to answer your question directly, a little A and a little B, right? I think one, as as a leader in, in data right now, I think it's important that I spend the time educating and slowing down and making sure that what I'm saying is relevant, meaningful, but I'm also kind of, uh, I don't want to say upskilling, but I'm really sharing like the latest in in data management, data engineering with my business partners. It's my responsibility, right? Um, but I don't think that we should give a free pass of, oh, well, you just, you say you wanted the data. And I had an executive at one point that I was working with that was like, I just want the data. I don't care how I get it. Don't tell me anything about the tools. Just give me the data. If you just get the data and you don't understand, you know, the context around governance and lineage and the importance of, you know, being able to trust and verify that data. And if you're not that into it, that's a really easy area in the future to make cuts that's really going to harm your business. It can harm your reputation. It can harm you from a regulatory standpoint and everything else. And so I think having those conversations, but really tying in the, the risks that are associated with not understanding some of these bigger concepts, but not getting too far in the details. And that's a hard one to balance because, you know, most of us that are on this podcast or listening to this podcast, we're living and breathing data mesh every day. So it's really easy to just jump in and say, oh, yeah, data is a product or like, hey, you know, my favorite, the federated computational governance, like, you know, business gets that all the time. They're like, oh, yeah, right, right on. Um it's just, it's not easily translatable, right? So slowing down and making sure that we're sharing these concepts, new ways of thinking, but we're making it um, relatable and um, we're also understanding where the business is coming from. I don't think we need to dumb it down, but I do think that um, we as leaders in, in the technology community and data communities do need to take the time to educate as we go along. Yeah, it's it's funny because my background isn't really much in data. It's more uh, business side, you know, uh, finance and FP&A and business process and stuff like that. So it's funny coming from this side because anytime I've I've dealt with people, like, so I was I was working for uh, uh, a startup and we were doing our month end um, or a quarter end or anything like that um, results and we were trying to look at the business and anytime we'd be looking at the business, I'd say, what are we trying to accomplish by looking at the business? And I was like, well, we're showing this to investors. So we want them to see where we see the growth potential. We want to kind of, you know, make it look a little bit more rosy than maybe the exact 
uh, metrics that we were using previously. And so we want to do it this way. We want to do it that way versus like we're looking for where we have deficiencies was a different set of analysis and a different set of figures and presentation, even though it was the exact same information. And it might have been a very, very similar slicing and similar lens, but it was like, where where is the churn? Where are the things that are actually issues? And so it's like, what are we trying to dig into? Because if I'm just providing you the data and I don't know what you're trying to answer, I don't want to overfit and over answer for you. But at the same point, that conversation about, hey, I can provide you like, uh, you know, um, long ago, I, I helped uh, a company that was running a, a startup program where they were giving access to startups, um, their software to startups. And this was kind of before the SaaS space or the XAAS was so popular. So this was still enterprise software. And they didn't understand. I was reporting how many startups signed up, not how many startups deployed their software. So somebody could sign up and say, yeah, I want access to this and then not deploy. And so there was a, a big miscommunication because I was just saying, this is signups. This is signups. And I kept only using the word signups. And yet that somehow got translated into users. <laughs> and so like, that's where I, you know, like learning more and more of and reflecting back more and more of like, hey, I want to make sure that you actually understand this, not because I think you're stupid, but because words are difficult and they can mean, you know, nine different things can mean, or the same word can mean nine different things or nine different things can mean the same concept. And so like, we want to make sure that we're aligned on this. And that communication is really tough because it is threading that needle of, okay, I'm just going to rely back onto the onto the technical aspects instead of the importance of understanding certain nuances of this data. Do, I mean, do you, are you finding that if you do that, I mean, you know, I, I don't want you to be like, oh, I'm doing it perfectly or I, you know, oh, I'm but like, are you finding when, when that resonates that people do lean in, even if they were leaning out, are you finding that that's happening more often or? Yeah, I think, you know, again, and I don't want to go back to the biz dev conversation, but I do like finding common ground and understanding where their problems are. Um, but also being able to share where yours are, it, it, it's the starting point. And I think that was a beautiful illustration of it. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right on there. Yeah. I, well, and I've talked about data product marketing and that concept and people really, really hate that concept I've found, but it's like, how do you go and do like actual product discovery, you know, not data discovery, but actual product discovery of what data products should I create? What do what information do people want? Why do they want it? Is this a value? Are you going to make sure that, that I get credited with this value exchange? But like those concepts, we need to be bringing more business concepts and not just like, oh, okay, I need to start talking like a businessy person or whatever. You know, I used to have to uh, wear a button down and slacks every single day and, you know, a suit um, quite a few days and all that stuff. Um, I haven't, you know, outside of my sister's wedding, I don't think I've worn a suit in, in a couple of years, but like, we don't have to belie our principles. We don't have to betray them to, uh, actually do this right. But we do have to figure out how does data tie into the actual business? Cause if we're not learning that, and if we're not leveraging that, it's just, I mean, are you finding that? No, uh, yeah, I think Scott, you're you're right. Uh, 
it's kind of the entire concept behind Data Mesh to me, at least. What really bought me into Data Mesh was that domain ownership and that domain-driven design, which means putting the knowledge back, you know, relying on the knowledge of our business people, the folks that know the the data the best, really, going back there. And if we as engineers don't take the time to understand the business principles and the basics of what we're trying to get out of it, we're doing a disservice. I feel the same way about software engineering, right? And we kind of made that big shift with Agile um, over the last several years. It's time. It's due here in the data community. We've got to understand those business processes. Um, Even if you're building a pipeline, right? Understanding the urgency of the data, understanding the value of that data, understanding the SLAs that are needed and why is important to make sure that you're meeting the demands. Yeah, makes sense. Well, I mean, we've covered a whole heck of a lot of different things here. Kind of, it's all been kind of all in the same area, but kind of all so just, you know, me crazy brained. But is there anything we didn't cover that you would have liked to or any way you'd kind of want to wrap up the episode, put a button on things? You know, I think the the things that I think about that we talked about today that the common threads that came through is establishing those relationships really is about understanding the problems um, and and having the relationships and having them open where you can have an ongoing conversation. I think the other thing that that kept resonated in our conversation was going to Gemba. For us, that was a huge um, learning moment because there were times that we missed who our stakeholders were or we missed what their problems were. And by taking the time to think about both our customers and our stakeholders and to walk a day in their life and be able to see what they need made us better partners um, in delivering value to the business ultimately through Data Mesh. And then I think, you know, the the third thing that that I would share from our learnings is really around we found a business case by having those relationships, right? And that business case is easily scalable. And so, you know, I think if you're just getting started on the journey or you're looking for funding. Um, even if your project's coming out of engineering, think about who your customers are and what they can get out of it, whether it's data engineers and data scientists getting more time back for insights or having more business context than they had before, or if it's your in-customer being able to see the customer journey holistically for the first time. Like Those are great business cases that there's a clear ROI on um, and great places to start. So yeah, I think, yeah. I think that covers it. Well, I think on that last one, one thing that's come up a lot is that, you know, imagine a world where, you know, your data and it's like, I don't care. I, I want what I'm focused on, right? Like that if if it's not serving what I care about right now, great. That would be awesome. But like, I don't care about that right now. So yes, I can imagine a world, but meh. So, um, so I'm sure there's going to be a heck of a lot of people that would love to follow up with you. Uh, is there, where's kind of the best place, anything specific you'd like them following up about? Absolutely. Feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, I also encourage everyone to take a look at the data contract um, that PayPal has put out on open source. Um, Reach out to Jean-Georges Perrin on our team too. He's been a guest here in the past. Uh, We'd love to connect and uh, chat with you about everything we've learned and learn from you as well. Yeah. And we'll drop links to those in the show notes to make it easy for folks out there. So, well, Kim, thank you so much for taking the time here today. Really enjoyed our conversation as well. Thank you, everyone out there for listening. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Kim Tease, a former leader on the enterprise data team at PayPal and now SVP, Client Innovation and Data Solutions at Profit Optics. 
you can find a link to some explanations of what we covered in the, the conversation, like Gemba Walk, the data contract template that she had mentioned, as well as the video of Simon Simek and Start from the Why. You can also find a link to her LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left DataStax, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about, like, going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well and have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.